Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 190. I literally walk up into my apartment and say to my husband, there are a few things that are going to change. We're going to move to Santa Barbara and I'm going to quit my job. Attention gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and I so appreciate you joining me here today, particularly if you're listening right after this episode got published, because it's holiday season, and I am guessing that you are busy, busy, busy. Given that your time is really precious right now, I have just one checkpoint for you before we get into the show. If you are not already part of the Gift Biz Breeze Facebook group, oh my gosh, what are you waiting for? We have something super special happening right now in that group for the holidays for you, and I want you to be a part of it. To get all the details and to know what I'm talking about, however, you need to go over and join the Breeze. Joining is super easy. Just go onto Facebook, search for Gift Biz Breeze, and ask to join. Today, I am so excited to introduce you to Kate Flynn, who is the founder and CEO of Sun and Swell Foods. This is a healthy snack food company based in Santa Barbara, California. Kate started her company two years ago with her husband, Brian, after realizing that most packaged good snack foods in stores are loaded with added sugars and preservatives. Her mission is to create on-the-go snack foods that are made only with the highest quality whole food ingredients so people don't have to compromise their health when eating on the go. This is such an important topic these days, Kate. I'm so glad you're here to talk with us about it. Welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you today. Me too. And I was telling you in the pre-chat that I've met you I've tried your product and love your product, but I don't really know a lot about the backstory. So I'm really excited to get into all of it. But before we do, I start off in a little bit of a different way. And that is by having you describe yourself through a motivational candle. So if you were to share what color would resonate with you, Kate, and what type of quote would be on a candle that speaks you, describe for us your motivational candle. My color would be yellow. For me, yellow has always reminded me of being positive and optimistic. And I haven't always had that lens in life. I think there have been times in my life where I've let stress and the craziness of life get the best to me. But something I've been focusing on the past few years is really just take a deep breath and not worry about things and try to see everything with a view of optimism. And that's really what something that yellow stands for for me. And then in terms of my motivational quote, I think it would be, you are the only one who can limit your greatness. And the reason that would be my quote is because something that I've become very aware of in my adult life, but especially as a business owner, is that a lack of confidence is sometimes the only thing that holds me back. And I'll probably get a little more into that later as we discuss my business and some of the challenges along the way. 
But for me, it's really, you need to believe in yourself and you need to believe that you're the one who is going to be responsible for your success. And the only limitation is really limitations that you set for yourself. I wholeheartedly agree with you. You know, I think a lot of people who aren't in business for themselves think, oh, it's so easy. (laughs) You know, you Mm -hmm. can just set your time limits, decide what you're going to do, work when you want, all of that. Right. And the real story is exactly what you're talking about. The mindset can be brutal. Putting yourself out there can really mess you up if you don't get it in order. Exactly. So good. I know we're going to talk about this a little bit more as we go, because that's what you've said, and I believe you. But before (laughs) we start with that, tell us how you came upon the idea of being an entrepreneur and the whole concept behind Sun and Swell Foods. Sure. So I never thought of myself as somebody who would be an entrepreneur. It's so funny because my husband, from the day I met him, his dream has always been to own his own business. And I was always the person who said, oh my gosh, I never want to do that. I like stability. I like job security. I don't have what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I'm not creative enough. And so I always had this mindset that that role was never for me. And that was up until about two years ago. And about two years ago, or I was living in San Francisco up until 2016, prior to starting my company. And when I was living in San Francisco, I was in a crazy corporate job. I was working really long hours. What kind of industry were you in? I'm curious. I did management consulting with a focus in the retail and consumer product space. So basically, big companies would hire us to come work with their executive teams and help them set their strategy to grow their business. So for example, one of my clients was a grocery store chain with 250 stores, and they were trying to figure out who their core consumer is and how to target it. And so they brought us in to do the market research and the consumer research and help them come up with the answer. So from a strategy side, I've been involved in this consumer industry for a while, but it was really more on that, more on the advisory side. I was never actually working for like a company that was making the product. Okay, got it. So I was in client services. So what that meant is we were often on projects with very short timelines with deadlines that couldn't be moved. And one thing I quickly realized about myself is I'm a, gosh, I would call a self-prescribed workaholic. Oh, you and me. (laughs) Yeah, it's a struggle. Sometimes I'm proud of it. I know it means I have great worth ethic. It also has the tendency to throw me off balance sometime. But anyways, so I'm in this job. I'm working a lot of hours I'm kind of burnt out. I like what I'm doing, but at the same time, I knew I wasn't really, really passionate about it. And I went on a yoga retreat, a place in Big Sur called the Esalen Institute. And I went on this yoga meditation retreat and it was literally a life-changing experience. I walked out of it saying, I'm not happy with my job. I'm not happy with what I'm doing. I love my personal life, but my work life is not fulfilling me right now. I need to quit. I need to leave. And so I put a timeline on and I said, in two months, I'm quitting my job. And the other thing that came out of that was we were going to move from San Francisco to Santa Barbara, which is something that we had always wanted to do. But it was one of those things where we wanted to move to Santa Barbara, but me and my husband kept telling ourselves that we weren't going to be able to make it work. So I walked out of this retreat and I said, I'm quitting my job and we're moving to Santa Barbara. Okay, you got to stop there. Yeah, (laughs) I have a question. So you went to the retreat just for weekend, healthy living, grounding. Where was it in the middle of that retreat where this revelation came to you? Yeah. So there was a moment and it's crazy because I never believe when people say there was a moment, I'm like, yeah, right. That doesn't really happen. There was like a clear moment. We just had come out of a a morning yoga meditation center and we were walking back to the grounds and we walked over this bridge. There was a waterfall next to the bridge and the yoga instructor, when we were wrapping up our session, she said, when you walk over the bridge, I want you to stop 
And I want you to face the waterfall and breathe in everything that makes you happy. And then after you spend a few minutes doing that, turn your back towards the waterfall and exhale everything that does not make you happy. And literally I sat there and I inhaled and I thought of my husband and my friends and my family and I turned my back and I exhaled. And the only thought that came into my mind was my job. Sometimes I feel bad saying that because I loved the company I worked for. I loved the work I was doing. I loved my colleagues, but it just, something was missing and it wasn't fulfilling me, but it was so clear to me in that moment. Like that was it. So I walked out of the retreat. We made some decisions. We put a stake in the ground. And the funny thing is my advice to people, a lot of people have, I think, share this story of they want to go out and start their own business. And they keep saying they're going to do it. And they keep saying they're going to do it, but they keep pushing back the timeline. They keep pushing back the timeline. And all of a sudden, three years have gone by and they haven't really done it. Right. That could have happened to you because like you're saying, the job wasn't bad. Right. And you could have endured and just said, you know, I'd be crazy not to stay here, right? But do you think that you were more open to it because you were already changing locations? So there was already a transition going on for you? So the change of locations is also something that came out of that weekend, because that's something that we have been talking about for years. That's something that was more clear in my head. Like I knew going into that weekend that we wanted to move. So we've thought about it, but we had never put a stake in the ground for it. So I think That was, yes, it kind of came hand in hand of, okay, like, this is the time to move and leave my job. Like it was those two things I think together did make it a little easier. We didn't have a timeline on the calendar to move. It was just something we talked about. Was Brian with you on this retreat? No, he was not. I was with one of my girlfriends. Okay, so you have this revelation. So there's one more important thing that happened coming out of this weekend. We had this amazing yoga retreat, me and one of my best girlfriends. And we come out of the retreat thinking... Okay, we're feeling inspired. We're feeling ready to change. And then on the way home, we have a six hour drive and we decide to listen to this really amazing motivational book by the author's name. It's Jen's, I think it's Sincero or Sincero. And the book is all about how you can create this positive change in your life and it's all up to you. And so we listen to this really, really inspirational book on the way home. We get home, drop her off. I arrive at my house. I literally walk up into my apartment and say to my husband, there are a few things that are going to change. We're going to move to Santa Barbara and I'm going to quit my job and we need to pick a date. We just need to put a date on the calendar. This is March. And so we decided we were going to move. Wait, did he think you were insane? Did he say no more yoga retreats for you, Kate? (laughs) A little bit, but he also really wanted to move to Santa Barbara. He was in the same boat. It's something that we both wanted to do. And he knew I wasn't fulfilled with what I was doing in my career. And he could see that. And he had seen that for years. And he's so supportive. I mean, I'm very blessed in that if I told him something was going to make me happier, he's all in. Okay, so a thought is coming to me, Kate, that I just want to get your opinion on here. I think that people, and you were talking about this earlier, they say they want to do something, they're interested in doing more, they're afraid to take the leap into entrepreneurship, but it doesn't need to be just that, it could be anything. It sounds like you and Brian shared what your possibilities were for the future and some thoughts and dreams and visions of what it could look like, which kind of then... I'm thinking, gave you to an opportunity to go back and forth about, yeah, that would work for me. Or, well, what about it doing it this way? And in like a dream mode before it just became reality. So you kind of could ease into the thought process and see if it really was good for you. So that leads me to think that people who are potentially looking at changes in their life could be having these conversations with their significant others 
And that's beneficial towards the progression when you really decide, okay, we're going to flip the switch and do it. What do you think? Absolutely. And one thing that was going on in parallel here, honestly, probably about two or three weeks before I went on this yoga retreat is when the idea for what is now Sun and Soul Foods started brewing. So I had this idea of like, wow, it would be great to create a company around this. So that entrepreneurial bug for the first time ever started to hit me. So these little pieces were coming from different places and they were all starting to merge together. Exactly. Like I said, Brian was always the one who wanted to be my, that's my husband. He's the one who always wanted to be the entrepreneur. So when he hears I'm quitting my job and let's move, he's also thinking, oh, this is going to start our company. Like this is going to be the beginning. You know, so it was all coming together. I literally, in order, in an effort to make sure we actually did this, I booked concert tickets on Memorial Day in May in Santa Barbara for a concert. And I said, we have to be living there by this date. This is what's going to get us there with a concert. Oh, I love that. And what month were you in at this point again? This was March. That's pretty fast. It was the beginning of March. It was the end of May. So it gave us about three months. But, you know, we were in an apartment. We were renting. We didn't have kids. It was easy for us to pick up and move. Okay. But it was so little. It was just concert tickets, but it actually gave us a date to work towards. And that's, that's often what I, the advice I give people who are maybe considering taking a big leap of faith. But it doesn't have to be you're going to quit your job and move. But maybe it's that you're going to get your website up. Like pick a date. If you want to get your website up, schedule an event in December and say your website needs to be up by December. And I've scheduled this event and I want to make sure when I work this event that people have a website they can visit. You know, it's really just putting little tiny sticks in the ground to hold yourself accountable to these goals and promises that you make yourself. That is an excellent best practice. I want to underline that for all of our listeners to think about. And let's just use your website like you're talking about. When you have any type of a project, instead of just starting to work on it little by little because you know you need to, setting a stake in the ground, to use your words, Kate, and saying this is when it's going to be done, and then working backwards to make sure it gets done is a better way to make sure it actually happens. And you just don't let it keep going into the future forever. Excellent. I love that you brought that up. Okay, so let's get to how did you actually develop Sun and Swell Foods? This is all happening in early 2016. So in January of 2016, I changed my diet to focusing on a diet where I was just eating whole real foods. The particular diet I was following is called the Whole30 for anybody who's ever heard of that. I'm doing that. I love that. Yes, yes. I know. It's pretty amazing. (laughs) But up until doing the Whole30, I would say I constantly struggled with food. I went from when I was in high school, I had a borderline eating disorder. I was a binge eater all through college. In my 20s, it was juice cleanses, you know, starving. It was just constant struggle and battle with food all of my teenage and most of my adult life up until doing the Whole30. And what the Whole30 changed for me is it made me stop. It made me realize how simple it is to eat healthy. If you just start flipping over ingredient labels, you don't have to do all this math with calories and entering things into an app or keeping track of all your food or, you know, it's just look at the ingredients that you're eating. And staying as close to natural as possible. Exactly. And that was pretty eye-opening to me. I describe it as finding food freedom because ever since doing that, I have never struggled with food again. It's just an easy part of my life now. And there's so many changes that came, switching my diet, cutting out all the refined sugar, eating just this whole real food, close to as natural state as possible, 
not only did it help me mentally wrap my head around my relationship with food, but I had more energy than ever. I had asthma my entire life. It went away. I slept better. Just all these crazy overall changes. And it really, I started doing a little more research on food and realizing that there was this whole movement toward going away from, you know, added sugars, added preservatives, and really focusing on eating real foods. And I realized I'm not the only, there's a whole lot of people starting to to eat this way. But what I also found was it was pretty impossible to find pre-made snacks that would accommodate this way of eating. And at the time, remember, I was in my crazy job working long hours in the office. I didn't have time to sit at home and make my own snack foods. I really needed grab-and-go snacks to bring into the office with me. And it was really hard for me to find things that fit that mold. And so this is when I started to realize, okay, there's a need here. There's more and more people eating this way. There's very, very, very few snacks and stores that can accommodate this way of eating. And I was making snacks at home and I wanted to start bringing them to the market to make it easier for people to eat this way. So that's where the original idea came from. Interestingly enough, our first product was not the product we're selling today. Our very first product that we experimented with, it was actually a substitute for, there's something that um, endurance athletes use called goo, kind of like a little package of gel. But it's supposed to give you energy or nutrients. Exactly. Yeah, it gives you energy and nutrients, but almost every product on the market is loaded with sugar. And at the time we were doing the Whole30, Brian and I were training for a marathon. And so it was this challenge. We can't eat the goo on the market. Like, what should we do? So we were making our own version of this using just dates and water and putting them in little pouches. And that was the original idea that we were going after, but... That does not sound good, Kate. I'm sorry. No, you know, (laughs) what we realized was it did fit that really small need that we had at that exact time. But we did some market research. We're like, this is way too narrow of a niche. And then on top of that, we found out that it had to be refrigerated and bringing it to market. You know, so we did our research. Yeah, because all of the stability for shelf life and all of that has to be a challenge too. Exactly. The overarching idea was we want to make food products with clean and simple ingredients. We started with this one idea. We realized kind of quickly through our research, it might not be the best thing to launch with. And so we pivoted, which I think is another important thing for Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs to keep in mind is you need to constantly evolve and change. And if something doesn't work out, it doesn't mean you give up and you're done with it. It means you (laughs) figure out a way to make it work in another way. Absolutely. And you're testing your own product, which is perfect. Exactly. So I took a step back and I'm like, okay, when I do have time to make snacks at home, what am I making? And I was making these little energy balls. We realized that is something that you could bring to market and it's shelf stable. And that's where our first product, it wasn't really our first product, but it's the first one that worked. And so the idea started brewing early 2016 and we worked on the product and the recipe throughout the summer of 2016. And we brought it to the market for the very first time in August. And this was another example of putting a stake in the ground. We picked a local triathlon. And we registered for a booth and that was our deadline. We had to get our design work done. We had to get our website up. We had to get some version of the product out there. We had to have some version of packaging and it wasn't all perfect. And to be honest, if we would have waited till it was perfect, we probably would have waited another year to launch it, but it was something to get out there. And that was when we first brought it to market. And tell us about the receptivity. So people were trying it and I have to say it's delicious. Oh, thank you. So where I was saying your fig and water just sounds, I don't know, it just—it was probably good. It just, when I visualize it, it doesn't look as good. But what you have now is delicious, number one. 
but also it's a different look to some of the other things that are out there. So you're creating something still connected enough, like people understand what it is. That was something, you said it looks different. That was something that we always valued from the very beginning. And it is making something that we really prioritize design. And for me, that's something that I personally always recommend you very little money when you're starting a business. You have to pick and choose where you spend it. And for me, and you know, this is just my opinion, but I always think it's worth investing in the little design work up front. You think of design, you think design of your packaging and all of that, but also design of your product. Yeah, that's going to catch people's eye because before you have any brand recognition, you got to rely on your people just wanting to pick up your products. So it looks interesting. Right. So let's go back to the triathlon. What happened there? So that your very first time showing it to the public, first of all, were you scared, nervous and anxious, or were you excited or everything? Yeah, I was nervous because we had had our friends try it, but you never know. Like, <laughs> you never know. And we had really positive feedback. And But there are friends and family. So of course, they're going to give positive. You know, we don't know if they would tell us if it was bad. Right. I was a little nervous going in, but we had really a lot of positive feedback at the event. And to me, what I walked away feeling the best about was we had kids loving it. And to me, I'm like, wow, if a kid likes it, that's not an adult coming up to us and knowing we're local vendors and just being friendly and saying they like it to be nice. And having it because it's healthy. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, if a kid's eating it and enjoying it, that means that we actually do have something that tastes good. I think what I think tastes good is probably not because I try to stay away from refined sugars and stuff like that. I think a lot of things, things that would taste yummy to me might not be for everybody. But if we have kids approving it, that right. means we really do have this good tasting product. The other really exciting thing to me is I could see at that event that our value proposition was resonating with people. So for us, I kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but what our commitment is, is making products with only whole real foods and very, very short, simple ingredient lists. Something you could literally make in your home kitchen. If you can't make it in your home kitchen, if you have to Google an ingredient, it's not going to work for us. It has to be simple ingredients, you know, something you can make yourself. And what was awesome for me was seeing people pick up our package, flip it over and make that comment and say, wow, that's all that's in there. To me, I was like, okay, we got something like this is it's resonating. Mm -hmm. And it was a very small audience that we introduced the product. I mean, I think we maybe talked to like, maybe we talked to 50 people throughout the whole weekend, but it was a little bit of positive feedback that made us want to keep going. And it sounds like it was consistent too. Yeah. And of course you will get the people who are like, oh, not for me. You know, there's always those people who try it and have a really adverse reaction. And that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. That was, you know, only a smaller percentage of the people there. It's funny doing things like this because like we're in the health food space and your product's not going to be for everybody. And I think that that's something that I try so hard not to take it personally when people don't like it, but I do. And I try not to, and I know it's wrong and I know I shouldn't, but it is the reality. It doesn't matter. It, your product might be the perfect product for 5% of people out there. And it's okay then. 95% of people don't like it. Or your product may be the perfect product for 75% of people out there and only 25%, but it's never going to be for everybody. And I think that's something that is also important to keep in mind because there will consistently be every single day people who tell you they don't like it, but it doesn't mean you have a bad product. It just means it's not for them. That's also when we talked in the very beginning about your mindset and understanding that that's okay. Nobody is going to be 100%. Everyone's going to like everything for sure. Exactly. So I do want to jump a little bit ahead in your story because I want to make sure we get this in. So this was your first event. The product is still very new on the market. 
but you had a huge opportunity for visibility recently. And I want to get into that story. I can't wait for you to hear Kate's story on this, but I'm going to keep you in suspense for just a minute so you can listen to our sponsor. This podcast is made possible thanks to the support of the Ribbon Print Company. Create custom ribbons right in your store or craft studio in seconds. Visit theribbonprintcompany.com for more information. Yes. So I heard that deep breath there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. This is the WeWork story, right? Right. So that was back in August of 2016. Fast forward, we're about, it's, now we've been in business for about two years. Throughout those two years, we've been focusing on building our business in Southern California. We're building awareness, building the brand, primarily in Southern California. But at the same time, we are starting to think about what's next and how do we start to build the brand beyond that? And what are some good partnerships for us, companies and partners to align with to really get us to the next level of growth? And there is an opportunity that came up. It was first presented to us about a couple months ago. And Basically, there is an organization called WeWork, and WeWork is a shared workspace for anybody who doesn't know what that is. It's basically a communal office. So for people who, it's a place a lot of entrepreneurs or small or small businesses will work out of. If they don't want to rent their own office space, they can go work in the shared workspace. So it has coffee and printers and everything a normal office would have, but it's more of a communal workspace than just an individual office. This company, WeWork, has like over 250 locations. It's also great besides the Starbucks option, just going and meeting someone at a local coffee shop. I think they also have areas like if you have a meeting that you need to do, you can rent out conference room space and they virtually have everything you need. So you're able to represent your business and have meetings in a professional situation and do work on a regular basis too. And I think rubbing shoulders with other people who are doing business kind of at a similar level as you because they're not going into a big office or something has a ton of value as well. Anyway, I went on a tangent. Carry on, Kate. That's exactly it. And so one of our friends, his name's Sam, he lives in New York City. And we basically have asked him to help build out our brand in New York. Because although that's on the completely opposite side of the country, we think that's a really great market for our product, given the types of consumers that live in New York City. Does he have some background or expertise? Is there a certain reason why you picked Sam? Well, he's one of Brian's best friends. They have, in their past, tried to do a few startups together. So it's kind of always been Brian's business partner. They're best friends from high school. But Sam is like such a sales guy. I mean, he can sell anything and he's great. Everybody likes him. He can sell anything. So for when we were like, hey, we want to build out our brand in New York, Sam would be a great guy to help us with this. So that's where, you know, our friend Sam is now in New York. He's helping us get our brand out there. And he works out of WeWork for his day job. And he had heard about, we, we basically talked to Sam about, hey, WeWorks have these markets in them. They sell food in a lot of them. How do we get our products in there? And so Sam looks into it and he finds out that they're actually holding a pitch competition. I think there's about 200 of these little markets throughout the country and they're actually revamping them to bring in products that are focused on better for you snack foods. So ones that are healthier, impact driven, et cetera. So they're actually currently in the process of revamping their markets and thus holding these pitch competitions to bring new products in. So Sam gets us looped in with this pitch competition and it's supposed to be in September. And Brian and I are flying out to the East Coast in September. We're doing a trade show out there. And the idea was we're going to go to this trade show in Baltimore. 
hang out on the East Coast for the weekend and go to New York City the following week to this pitch competition. So Friday before the pitch competition, we find out that there was a little confusion with the dates. I think that it had been rescheduled, but we didn't find out till just then. So we had this whole trip planned in New York. We had to cancel it. We didn't go. The pitch competition was rescheduled for three weeks later in October. So at that point, Brian and I were kind of like, you know what? That was our chance to go. It didn't happen. If we were meant to go there, it would have worked out. Like, it's probably just not meant to be. Let's not book flights out to this other one. It's really expensive. We already tried to go to New York. It didn't work. So you're canceling the whole thing. We're about to cancel because they rescheduled it. We've already lost money on flights we booked to New York that we had to cancel. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, it's going to be a lot of money to go back out to New York. And on top of that, the date that the pitch competition was going to be, it was a Tuesday. And the Monday before and the Wednesday after, we had two really important production runs that I had to be there for. We were launching brand new products and it was the first time doing the recipes in a large scale. And we had these production runs scheduled at our kitchen here in Southern California. So everything was pointing to like, maybe we just shouldn't go. Makes complete sense. Yeah. We're sitting there and we're like, okay, financially, we probably shouldn't go trying to get out there for, you know, we, we have this production run, we probably shouldn't go. But there's this like little bug <laughs> that's like, but what if you go? What if you win? And this happens often that these, oppor- it's constantly when you're an entrepreneur, it's constantly trade-offs of should I take this opportunity? Should I not take this opportunity? Yeah. So here you're sitting logic versus intuition. Exactly. And I'm like, logically, I don't think it makes a lot of sense, but we're feeling like there could be a chance and we're feeling like it could be a good opportunity. So kind of decide we're not going to go. And then the Friday before, so the competition is not Tuesday, the Friday before we're like, maybe we should go. Let's just do it. So the competition is on a Tuesday. We have to be in Santa Barbara on Monday and Wednesday. So we book red-eye flights out on Monday. So we fly overnight from LA to New York on Monday night. We go to the pitch competition Tuesday And then we have the flight booked to return home Tuesday night. Okay, that's insane, first of all. (laughs) But I bet your adrenaline, once you made the decision you were doing it, it was like all in. Yeah, totally. And like, I don't know, like, I'm so much in the camp of if you put it out to the universe, and if you say yes to things, things are just going to happen. I think once I made the decision, I was like, I have a good feeling about this. I'm like, this is going to work out. Okay, but Kate, logistics and getting out there now is one thing. You got the whole pitch to do. So, which we, of course, it was really hard to find time to prepare for a pitch because it's in three days and we have a lot of other things going on as we always do, as every entrepreneur does. So, but we figured out, we're like, well, we have a five hour plane ride out there. We'll, we'll work on the pitch no. on the way out there. But you, the good thing is it's only a 90 second pitch. So it's not, it's like, okay, like we just have to figure out how to describe our company in 90 seconds, which sometimes is the hardest thing is trying to tell your story in 90 seconds. But at least there was no presentation. It's literally just getting up there and talking about your company for 90 seconds, right? We can do this. So we go and we do it. And how do you feel you did? (laughs) It's so funny because we were the first people to go. And for some reason, we didn't bring our product up there with us. So we're describing our company and what we do, but we're not holding the product. So one of the judges asks, can you describe your product? And we're like, oh gosh, like why weren't we just holding the product? Like, so, you know, there's little things like that. And I walk away being like, oh gosh, we just lost it because we weren't holding the product. But that apparently didn't really matter because we ended up winning. They basically selected, I think three or four companies that day that were going to be placed into these markets. And you are one of them. And we're one of them. And this year, we're going to roll out to five locations in New York. And over the course of next year, they'll roll us out to all 200 locations. So, I mean, this is huge for us. 
First yeah. off, congratulations. Thank I obviously you. knew because I prompted <laughs> you to go into this story, but you just jump over. We made the presentation. Oh, yeah. And by the way, we won. <laughs> right. So you got to do the presentation. And then were you listening to everybody else? Like everyone gets to listen to everyone else who pitches? We're the first people. And then we listened to everybody else. And so you're obviously comparing what you represented compared to everybody else and saying, oh, well, you know, maybe we're a better fit and not them and all of that. So when it got to the point where they were going to announce the winners, did you feel you had a chance? I have been told time and time and time again that we have a great product, but I still sit there and doubt myself like in moments like this when I'm, there are so many other great products. And yeah, every single person that pitched, I thought that I could see why they would select them over us, but I could also see why they would select us over them. The one thing that I felt really, really good about was we were the only product like ours. We weren't up against other little snack bites. We were the only product that was really our style of snack food. And to me, that was promising. I thought, okay, well, one of the companies that we were up against that also got selected as well was a water and a really sustainable package, which was great. But to me, I'm like, okay, that's not really our competition right now, because if they want to bring a beverage in, they'll bring a beverage in. So I was kind of constantly doing that trade off in my head of why would they select us over them? Or are we even competing against them? Or is that a different category? But you know, the funny thing is you sit there for an hour and a half, listen to everybody else and just it's not going to change anything. <laughs> How hard do you think about it or compare? It's, like, it's not going to change the results. No, but in a way, it was great that you went first because even with the little debacle, because then you weren't freaking out and comparing yourself. I always like going first, but I also have to say your product is so conducive to that environment. Being able to take the package, bring it back to wherever you're doing your work, open it up, you know, it's not messy. All of that makes so much sense to me. So again, fireworks confetti congratulations that is so exciting and I bet you guys on the way back because you still had this rush you had to get back but I bet you guys on the plane back were like what just happened oh my gosh so literally our flight was at gosh I think 10 30 like it was down to the minute when there was a point we were waiting for them to announce the winners and we were like we might miss our flight if we wait for this but we have to wait so if we miss our flight we miss our flight we need to wait and see what happens so they announced the winners. We said our thank yous and we hopped in a cab and straight to the airport and honestly would have missed our flight if it wasn't delayed for an hour. We made our flight because it was delayed. Right. And yeah, it was just kind of surreal because when I look back at, or even when I was looking forward to it, I was like, wow, this is huge. And it's really hard to process sometimes in the moment. It's hard to be like, wait, what just sure. happened? Yeah. And I think that with everything, not just this pitch competition was amazing and it was a little bit more visibility than a lot of the other wins we have. But sometimes Brian and I sit back and we're like, we look at, you know, the stores we've gotten into or, you know, some things that have happened and we're like, there's so many just things to celebrate along the way that sometimes you get so caught up. We were so excited by this pitch competition, but the first thing we did when we get on the plane was start thinking what's next. We literally had to pause ourselves. We had to pause and say, let's not think about next steps on this plane ride. Let's just talk about how cool this is. And we forced ourselves to sit there and just be stoked about it for four hours on the way home versus trying to think of what's next, what's next, what's next. Right. It's hard sometimes to take a moment and pause and celebrate and congratulate yourself. When we first started the business, I really regret that we don't do this anymore. When we first started, I literally used to keep a little log of daily wins. I'm grateful we did it for like the first month because I look back on the log 
And it reminds me of how far we've come. I recorded when we got our first Instagram follower that was not friends and family, our first organic Instagram follower, or our first online purchase. And all of these little tiny things that we celebrated and we jumped up and down for and we cheered for. And as you grow, you forget how far you've come. And so although we don't keep that log anymore, I'm really glad we have it from that first month or two in business. And when I look back on it, it does help me put into perspective what we've been able to build. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I have three questions for you about this whole thing. And I want to make it a little bit shorter so that we can get into all the other things I want to talk to you about real quick. But hindsight now, what advice would you have for somebody who's in a situation like yours where there's all of a sudden an opportunity You're bracketed on both sides with time restraints. What was your thinking? What would you say to somebody who is in a situation like that in terms of should they do it or should they not? I would say trust your gut. I think if you have a good feeling, then go for it and be okay with the fact that it might not work out and it might not. But if you listen to your gut, your intuition's telling you something, there's a reason why. And you hate to be in a position where you look back and regret not taking a chance because as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, it's all about taking chances. Really, really good point. So now you've landed this account that because it was kind of spur of the moment, you thought about it before, but in spur of the moment, you've decided, yes, we're going, bought the tickets, went, and now you've landed this big account. Did that affect how you were going to do business and your business plan moving forward? Because you now have to integrate all of that into your systems. We've built a base and we have set ourselves up to be able to handle something like this. I'm not saying everybody has, will be in a position to do that every time they get a big win, but we were very cautious about going after things that we felt like we wouldn't be able to deliver on. In fact, to this day, we have not approached Whole Foods. We've not approached Sprouts because we don't know if we internally have the resources to be able to deliver that's a whole different industry and has a whole different requirement. So we were ready for it. We set ourselves up for it. We have the manufacturing capacity and all of that. And it's going to be a little bit of a slow rollout. So it's going to be something that's not, it just doesn't happen tomorrow. It's going to happen over the next six to nine months. We're prepared for it, but we were cautious about putting ourselves in. We try not to put ourselves in situations where we think we might get a big win and then not be able to deliver. Right. So we've talked a lot about all the successes and chances that you've taken and you've been alluding to. Go ahead, you know, take chances. Is there one you can share with us that didn't work out? And of course, the next question from that is, what do you learn from it? Yeah. So I would say the example I'm going to give is not one grand example, but something that's happened over and over again. But it felt very big to me when we first launched our company. So when we first launched our company and we were going after approaching these new accounts, we were trying to get our products indoors for the first time. I think we had currently three retail customers and I was trying to get our fourth door. And I found the store and I thought it'd be the perfect fit and I was going after them and they said, no, we don't think your product's going to be a good fit. We're not going to carry you. And again, like at the time, in hindsight, to me, I'm like, okay, that's just one account doesn't mean anything. But that was at the time when we were just bringing our product to market. It was the first time I was putting my product out there. So even going up to anybody and trying to get them to buy the product was scary and a big thing. And they said no. And at first I just took their no and I got sad and I went home and I was like, oh gosh, nobody wants their product. Somebody said no to me. That one no turns into nobody will want my product. But you know, (laughs) it's like hard not to take, it's hard because in my mind, this was the perfect fit for us. It was a natural food store. I was like, oh, they have a local natural food store. And like, if they don't take our product, then nobody's going to want our product. 
But then I was like, okay, wait, and no can't just be like shut down and no has to be a learning opportunity. So I went back to them and I said, what do you see as the challenges? And they expressed some concerns and I was able to address the concerns because I knew our product very well. And they're like, all right, you know, we'll give you a chance. So they put us in. I followed up a week later and I said, how's the product doing? They said, the product's not selling. <laughs> and I was like, oh, great. Here we go again. This isn't going to work. Natural food store, nobody's buying it. And again, I did walk out and I was super discouraged, ended up following up with them and be like, you know, is there anything that you can think of that we could do to help turn the product? And they're like, yeah, just give us some samples. Nobody's going to buy it without trying it. In hindsight, it was, oh, duh, I needed to give them some samples so people would try our product and ended up giving them samples. The product ended up turning and they still carry our product to this day. In comparison to the thing that just worked out, that seems small, but at the time it was just as big. It doesn't always work out like that. A lot of times we get told no, and it really is a no, and they won't reconsider, and we don't end up selling, or we have lost accounts because our product hasn't turned. And I think the biggest thing is treating them as a learning experience and not a point of discouragement. And if your product doesn't sell somewhere, it doesn't mean it's bad. We've learned that certain types of accounts aren't good fits for us because our price is too high or they don't have that type of clientele. But over time, now that we have all these data points, we've been able to understand what that looks like. But when you're first trying to get your product out there, you don't know what that looks like sometimes. But yeah, I think treating everything as a learning experience versus a failure is the best way to approach things like that and trying to stay in that mindset. Yes. Well, you also did something that a lot of people don't do. So this is an excellent example. And that is you approached this particular store thinking you were going to land it, perfect fit, et cetera. They said no. And you could have just then stopped. Yeah. And I don't mean stop in your entirety, like stop the business, right? But you could have not approached them again and just gone on to another one. Let's say another one said no, you know, and just like continued going to individual stores and getting either a yes or a no. But the fact that you went back and asked for further information from them to understand their perspective gets you so much further. Yeah. Because saying, you know, what the challenges were and then letting you put it in the store and then finding that you needed samples, all of that just makes you so much smarter for the next time versus, again, just going into one store hearing no, going to another. You're not setting yourself up for as deep a potential of success versus what you did when you went back in and asked. Right. I don't think I made a lot of sense with that, but maybe the point got through. The other thing, though, I wanted to say, which always surprises me, I'm out a lot at different types of food shows, candy shows, savory shows, snack shows, all this type of thing. You would be amazed how many people don't give samples. <laughs> yeah. It's really surprising. And you're right. I mean, if you can't sample something, especially yours, because, you know, it does look a little bit different. It's super yummy. So you want people sampling, especially give it to the kids, because now we know all about yeah, that. Exactly. But it's a good point to underline for people who do have products that are edible, you know, make sure to bring samples. And do you make smaller versions of your product for samples or do you just bring in bulk your product? For different occasions, we have different things. We don't have like an official tiny sample pack because honestly, with the way we make things right now, it would be very expensive for us to make those little sample packs because just from a packaging, we have to order special packaging and stuff like that. What we typically do is when we're doing production runs, we set aside product specifically for samples. So we cut them up into little pieces. We put them in big bags. So we have these big sample bags sitting aside that we can always bring to events. So we're very generous. It's not just events. When we get a new, if we start selling a new coffee shop, 
part of our strategy when we launch a new account is to give them a bunch of samples for their staff to try. Because if you're selling a coffee shop, you want the cashiers and the baristas to know what the product tastes like because people are going to ask. And then we also give samples to give to their customers as well. So that's part of our launch strategy with new accounts. Well, this whole history of what's come about to date, because it's very short history, but very successful, is such a great story. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this with me and my listeners. And in return, I would like to offer you a gift. It's a magical box containing unlimited possibilities for your future. So this is your dream or your goal of almost unreachable heights that you would wish to obtain. So accept this gift on behalf of me and my listeners and open it right now. What is inside your box? I would actually give myself, and this ties back to the candle at the beginning. Don't tell me it's another yoga retreat. No, it's not. Okay. <laughs> I would actually like a confidence cape or a confidence hat or something that would give me the magical powers to always believe in myself and my product. It goes back to this example we were just talking about not getting defeated and going back into a store and asking and learning. And this has been my biggest struggle as a business owner, the biggest. If I'm not aware of it, and if I'm not constantly working on it, it holds me back. And I think that there's so much room to grow. There's so much to do with our business right now. But you know, it's I need to believe in it. And I do. But it's hard sometimes. And sometimes it can hold me back. I think if I could walk around feeling 100% confident all the time, there would be no stopping me. (laughs) That would be amazing if we could do that. And I dare to say that there is no stopping you. You just go back and listen to this when you are ever questioning yourself, because look at all you have accomplished so far and your courage in all of these different steps. Here's to you keeping that confidence cape on the majority of the time. Thank you. We know it's not possible forever, but (laughs) we'll just try and keep it on you as often and as long as we can. How about that? (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) Okay. So if there was one single place that you would direct our listeners, if they want to know more about you, where would that be? Yeah, our website is a great place for that. And the website is just www.sunandswellfoods.com. Perfect. And Gift Biz listeners, you know, there's a show notes page that accompanies this in every episode of the show. I will have all social media links on there. And I'm also going to put on that elusively titled inspirational book that Kate was referring (laughs) to. We couldn't talk about the title and you'll know why when you see what it is. So that's a little kind of teaser for you to go over to the show notes page and see what it is. But an excellent book. I would recommend it just as much as you do, Kate. I also want to do a shout out to Ann Pazier because she is the one who suggested that you and I get together for an interview. And I'm so glad we did. So Ann, thank you for that. I know you'll be listening mm-hmm. at some point. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so there's that. And Kate, you are going to help all of us find food freedom. I know it. And I just love that <laughs> saying there. But anyone who has a WeWork in their area over the course of maybe the next year or so, look for Sun and Swell Food. And who knows where else it's going to be available, but for sure online too, right? Yes. Thank you again so much for your honesty, your insight. And I'm so excited what happens next because I know you're an action taker. Love that. So all the best and much (laughs) success to you, Kate. Thank you. Wasn't Kate's story inspiring? Getting an idea, developing a product, and then getting confirmation that it's really good and getting placement in some big stores. 
I think as we circle into the new year, there will be other people who are thinking about, okay, this is maybe the year for me. This is maybe the year when I'm going to finally stop just dabbling and selling to friends and family, but really kicking off my business for real. If you have any friends like that, I just want to remind you of the new book I put out this year, Maker to Master. It's full of best practices on how to start a business. And also, if someone has gotten started and is just stuck, the traction isn't there, there are some great examples of where you could be perfecting and enhancing what you're already doing. This would be a great gift or stocking stuffer if you have someone like this in your life. Here's a little more info. Are you discouraged because your business is not performing as you had envisioned? Are you stuck and confused about how to turn things around? Sue's new best-selling book is structured to help you identify where the holes are in your business and show you exactly how to fix them. You'll learn from Sue and owners just like you who are seeing real growth and are living their dream. Maker to master. Find and fix what's not working in your small business. Get it on Amazon or through www.giftbizunwrapped.com master.